How do we tell stories that engage, inspire, and have a lasting impact? How do we turn thoughts and ideas into effective and authentic storytelling? How can we use stories to make a difference in our work, lives, and communities? I'm your host, Camille DePutter, and together we'll explore what it means to tell stories with heart. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Storytelling with Heart podcast with me, Camille DePutter. And with me today is Kate Solo, aka Solo Viova. Did I get that right, Kate? You did. Amazing. (laughs) Kate is the Director of Community Engagement at Precision Nutrition. She's also an experienced coach, having worked with more than 1,000 clients on things like health, nutrition, fitness, and mindset. And she possesses two psychology degrees. In the meantime, Kate has been writing for years on her personal website, e-newsletter, and her self-published ebook, Half Pregnant. In her community, Kate's known for sometimes contrarian opinions in her ability to think about challenging topics in new and engaging ways. So I'm confident we're going to have a great conversation today. Welcome, Kate. How did I do with that introduction? Is there anything you would add or change to round out that bio? Well, now I, I feel a little bit of pressure to live up to the contrarian nature and just like <laughs> correcting you and right off See, the it's bat. It's happening no, already. That, that was great. That, that was that was truly great as, as off-brand as it sounds, but that was fantastic. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. Awesome. Well, I, I think you're you're such an interesting person in many ways, but among them, you have a full-time job, which you've had for years, but alongside that, you'd all you've also had your, like I just said, your personal website, an email newsletter, you've self-published. And you might say, and we can talk about this because I have no idea what your thoughts are on this phrase, but um, maybe for lack of a better term, your own kind of personal brand. And so I'm really interested in, you know, how kind of how you've done this and why you've done this. So maybe this is a good place to start because a lot of people working, you know, quote unquote, nine to five jobs would not bother. They would not bother to have their own website to write, to do some of these things that you're you're doing. And, and yet you've done them for many years. So can you tell me a bit about, you know, why you do this writing on on the side, so to speak? Yeah, I think with writing, uh, I remember being asked this question at a writing workshop and my answer was uh, very easy. It's like, I, I write so it doesn't kill me in my sleep, right? <laughs> like that, that just sort of, it feels like not writing is not exactly a choice. I just get miserable. Uh, and I know that's not everyone's uh, feeling around writing, but writers can relate, right? Like, so mm-hmm. writers need to get it out of their head. Otherwise they're just going to go insane now. Uh, so some people garden and some people run and uh, I also run, but I write. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're a woman of many interests and, and talents. Um, were you always like that in terms of writing? Like, So it sounds like you consider yourself a writer. Did you always? I think I've always been a writer. I uh, if we define a writer as somebody who writes, right? Like mm-hmm. so um I think 
when I was eight or nine years old, I would be writing and notebooks. And uh, this is how long ago I can date the perfectionism around writing as well, because I, I do clearly remember that there was this pressure that I put on myself because who else I was eight uh, to start taking notes in this notebook describing my day. And then I would invariably feel, uh, fall behind. Uh, and then I would feel bad about falling behind and I would need to go back and say, like, okay, like I need to write about yesterday because I didn't write about yesterday. And then those days would pile up. Mm-hmm. Right. And it actually took me years, ironically, to wrap my head around journaling that didn't have to take place every single day. Uh, you know, like I don't actually have to write every day, like in a journal, I can say, you know, March 1st, and then I can say March 19th, and it's okay. Like no one's going to die. No one's going to come and take my children away if I've skipped two and a half weeks. So I think like that was actually probably the beginnings of a lot of freedom around that, where I could just write when I wanted or when I could. And uh, it's also easier to write when one has time and one has very interesting things happening to them. So invariably, if I travel, if I go through uh, maybe a period of time when lots of things are happening, I find myself writing more. So I would write through the initial lockdowns throughout the pandemic because it was all incredibly new and wild. Mm -hmm. Uh, And writing is how I process like that's just sort of how I think so for me in a lot of ways the piece is done when I've written it like my job is done and then people can go and do whatever they want with it and if it's helpful Mm -hmm. great and if it's not helpful it's nice when it's helpful it's nice when people pat you on the head and you get a cookie right but at the end of the day the primary purpose of it is for me to figure out how I think about a thing so I can point at any big event like um whether it was politically or economically in the last 10, 20 years. And I can usually pinpoint to an essay that I needed to get out in order to figure out how I think about that thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's uh you said a lot there and a, a couple of things I would, I'd love to kind of dig into. And, and first just that, that concept that writing is thinking is, is such a good one. It's something I've, I've chatted about, um, Already, I, I spoke with John Berardi earlier. Uh, did a podcast with him, and and we talked a lot about this process of of thinking and having the ideas, and and part of the writing process actually just kind of figuring out what that idea is and and what actually you want to say. That um, the, that process is kind of intertwined. I, I'm really interested in what you're saying about letting yourself off the hook of a certain kind of consistency and also a certain kind of impact that you are able to say, okay, I'm just going to write, I'm just going to do this thing. And, you know, I, it's great if it's consistent, but it doesn't have to be great if it makes a difference or helps other people or resonates with other people, but it doesn't have to. How, so you, you kind of sounds like kind of struggled with that a bit as you were a kid can you tell me how that shows up in your own blog and email newsletter writing? Cause you've kind of had, how long have you been doing it for? Would you say? I think the newsletter in various forms has probably been happening for five or seven or eight years. It's probably single digits still, uh, but we're getting up there. 
Uh, the blog has been like 10 plus years. And again, this is my third blog because there's been like Life Journal way back when, and then there was a WordPress and then there was Blogspot. So there's always been some sort of project on the go. And I think that's also helpful to, to know and realize, right? Like when you see a blog, like when you see uh, someone's shiny presentation, you often don't know. Like it doesn't say on my website, hey, everyone, there's 500 plus articles written on here and a lot of them have never made it here. And the first ones were complete crap. Oh, <laughs> it's also my third blog, right? Like it right. Doesn't, doesn't say that. Like that's the piece that we don't see. I was uh, giving a talk to a room uh, full of personal trainers a couple of years ago. And uh, I asked them, I said, by a show of hands, how many of you have worked out uh, in the past week? And every single hand went up. And we all laughed a little bit because, of course, it was not very representative of the general population. But then I said, how many of you have a gym bag? And they all raised their hands. They all had a gym bag. And I said, well, what I want you to consider is how many decisions have gone uh, over the years into you putting together that gym bag. The fact that your gym bag has gym shoes, which gym shoes, what to wear to the gym, your fob, which gym to go to. What are you going to do in the gym? Do you have a workout log in there? Are you? Do you have a shaker bottle? Which shaker bottle? And all of those decisions you've had to figure out along the way as you've built your habit of exercising regularly. And when working with a client who's just starting out, they haven't done any of these things. They don't Mm -hmm. even have a gym bag. They don't even have a gym. So we have to figure out so many steps along the way. And I think that's the part that um, a lot of folks find very overwhelming about like maybe writing or creating content more regularly, because it's yet again, this really big thing where there's actually millions sub tasks and sub things that we have to figure out. And when you watch somebody doing it seemingly effortlessly, mm-hmm. it's partly because they, they have a gym bag, right. And they've been, mm-hmm. they've been building that bag for many years. So if, if somebody did come to you and they said, you know, Kate, I I do want to write more. I want something like you have. I want a vehicle for this expression. What would you tell them then if they're right at the beginning of that? Well, I think if if they're the quote unquote kind of person I am, they probably have been writing this entire time, right? Like Because I would say there is probably going to be a categorization there of people who just enjoy writing for what it gives them outside of the marketing and content and all of those other things. And for people who are who want to write because they feel like they should, because that's what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. I think that second one is a little bit harder. Um, so it's really just figuring out what is the manageable lift for you? Because if we're going to be comparing ourselves, like here's the the person, like I can, I can pinpoint at a coach on Instagram that I know, love and enjoy their content. And I compare myself to, and then I go, huh, well, they're doing it full time. And I don't know how many people they have on their team. Meanwhile, it's me and my phone trying to figure out what the hell a reel is, right? As exactly. Job, right? As I have a day job and a business and two kids under four, right? Like, right. so um, those are very much, they're not even apples and oranges. They're like apples and chairs. Like they're the different species, <laughs> uh, right? So I think in terms of starting, so I know I've um, worked with somebody who wanted to become more regular with their content. They, we've just decided that they would try uh, to shoot for one newsletter a month. 
Mm-hmm. And it was just enough to like not be forgotten, if that mm-hmm. makes sense, right? Like it's this regular enough cadence, which is probably manageable for most folks. And then figuring out kind of what to write, because I think that's a big uh, pressure point as well, where there's that kind of perception that we need to have conquered Mount Everest and then write about it. Uh, meanwhile, there are stories everywhere, right? Like it doesn't actually matter what we write about. You can write about, you know, your most recent gym visit. You can write about a grocery store visit. Uh, during the pandemic and lockdowns, I wrote about how I, uh, there was that like panic about food, all the food being bought all of a sudden yeah. or- empty shelves and I wrote how I how I walked into a bulk store and walked up and down the aisles where all the beans were gone all the pasta was gone but there were full bins of candy I remember thinking to myself there are tens of thousands of calories here we will be okay. <laughs> like it, it might not be the most balanced diet, but we will be okay. <laughs> and I wrote about that, right? And I think mm-hmm. a lot of people could could relate to that. So I really love the the piece. You've alluded to that a little bit. Um, and I, I think you may have talked about that with JB a bit, that there is this very unique thing that writing does um, where we have to take these random thoughts and ramblings and blah that we have going on in our head and we have to order it enough mm-hmm. for it to get into the sentences and the words on the page. There is there is an ordering that needs to take place because language has rules. There are words and sentences and paragraphs that you need to take the blah and you need to stick <laughs> them into the structure, right? And that actual act of ordering that chaos is very calming. Like that's the kind of the processing thing. Like I got incredibly fascinating by, fascinated by work of James Pennebaker, who was uh, doing all this research on benefits of expressive writing. And mm-hmm. that's what I ended up doing my master's thesis on is benefits of expressive writing after negative and traumatic events. Oh, wow. Um, sort of like how how cool it is, like what, how we can take this experience and we can process it through uh, building a narrative. Mm-hmm. And then you actually can hear like when people talk about really big things that happen to them or really traumatic things that happen to them, you can actually hear when somebody has processed it mm-hmm. because they, they sort of have a script they go, well, yeah, like I grew up, it was tough, but then dad left. And like, there is an actual order and you can hear how they've told the story a whole bunch of times. And every time you tell it, you shape it a little bit more mm-hmm. and then it becomes a coherent narrative. Yeah, I can relate to that very much in various, various ways. Some of the the stories of you know, trauma that I use professionally, some that I might just tell personally, professionally, you know, referring to. Uh, the speech about my heart that I gave mm, before I started my own business. So, you know, probably about 10 years ago, and that actually led to kind of my own brand. I mean, it's why I say storytelling with heart, because I mean, it's a, it's a pun. (laughs) It's a pun for me because it refers to the fact that I grew up with a heart condition, had a pacemaker uh, put in and had to kind of come to terms with accepting and, and um, kind of loving my own 
my own heart and, and body in that sense. And the, that I kept it a secret for so long too, right. That this was something that was a source of shame and that I kept to myself. And when I started, when I gave that speech and started writing about it, it, uh, it transformed, but over time it also became, um, you know, it's not, that's not a sore spot for me anymore that, you know, I'm happy to talk about it in different contexts at this point, it's almost more of a, a tool, almost a some a story I can tell to share something of myself that might resonate with someone else that might kind of open up a, a new space for connection or, you know, if I'm vulnerable, then they can be vulnerable and so so on. And so it's like the the time that has passed in telling the story and writing about it in different forms has changed the the nature of it for, for me personally. And, and then it's also been frankly useful professionally because it's a story that lets people know about me and why I do what I do. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like the, there are very overwhelming and intimidating words that we often use when it comes to writing and kind of connecting writing to any sort of business running, right? Like, because I do find like we talked a little bit about the brand, right? Like I -hmm. find brand content, like those words are actually quite intimidating because it feels very professional. Like I, I can't just write, I need to create content. (laughs) Like it's, and that just feels very corporate-y and very like hard and like a thing and same applies to brand. Like I have to have a brand now, like that just creates all kinds of perceptions and images like I have to have a logo and I have to have a font and I have to have a color scheme meanwhile a brand is really just how we show up right and I I had um, a colleague message me a couple of weeks ago and she said I saw this new restaurant opened up and when I saw their name I thought of you they serve brunch and it's called sarcasm and hugs (laughs) <laughs> That's you in a nutshell, isn't it? <laughs> and I, it was brilliant because it was me in a nutshell, right? But um, neither sarcasm nor hugs are like explicitly written into my brand. Like if you go to my website, it's not called sarcasm and hugs. I'm not called hug coach. Like I didn't make it into a thing, but yet it's a thing. Uh-huh. When people run uh, into a restaurant called Sarcasm and Hugs, they think of me. Uh-huh. And chances are there are people in your life that you sort of think of when you run into something. Like you maybe yeah. run into a particular breed of dog and you think of a friend who has only had those dogs their entire life or somebody who's into poetry or somebody who's into knitting. So I really think of that as, as a brand. It's like, well, what do people think of? Like what kinds of what kinds of things they send you because they thought of you when they see yes. it? Like, and it might be as, sim- as simple as like, oh, you love purple, all things purple. I saw this purple coat and I thought you would dig it. Yeah, I, th- I love that. That's such a great explanation of it. And um, in particular, that bit of like, what would people send you as a, you know, I saw this and and thought of you, you know, in, in my case, I just to use myself as, a, as an example, it's not always a hundred percent clear to people, maybe exactly what I do. And, you know, I call myself a storytelling specialist. Well, what does that mean? And I can break it down and I can explain it. But I think in my case, one of the things that's been helpful 
is, okay, storytelling. That's me. That's what I stand for. That's a very broad word. But as a result, it a lot of people will think, oh, well, we need some kind of story told, whatever that means to them. And so they'll come to me. And that gives me an opportunity to, at least, even if it's not the right fit for me or not exactly what I do or what I'm into, to talk with them and have a conversation about it and, and an opportunity. And maybe there's a chance to help them with their project. But it also allows me this kind of, from a brand perspective, I'm able to put a stake in the ground on a certain topic, this idea of storytelling, but I'm also not too shoehorned into it. You know, there's lots of breadth for that. And I have maybe at times narrowed my message or focused it in slightly different ways or for a different audience, but it's allowed me to grow as a person and explore other avenues of the storytelling thing without being too, too boxed in. And actually that's something that I, I try to help people think about if they're starting um, an e-newsletter or a blog or some kind of commitment like that, because I see people making the mistake of sometimes getting too specific, like, okay, it's going to look like this thing. It's I've got a very detailed template. I'm going to offer all of this stuff or all this kind of content, or I have to figure out all these things that it's about or all of the brand stuff. And it's like, let's have some kind of a starting point, but not make it so specific that like you're going to outgrow it in a month. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a great kind of point to keep in mind because people start something, you know, like I'm going to send resilience tips in my newsletter and that's like, okay, well, how long is that going to last? How long are you yourself going to last before you're now sick and tired of resilience and everything exactly. resilience. So my newsletter is called uh, letters to friends and it took a number of years for that to kind of emerge and goodness knows it's not patented. So please, anyone who wants to call their newsletter letters to friends, please take that and run with it. Um, but I think like for me, at least that, that made sense as, as a template. Like if you think of letters to friends, they can be about, anything and everything. And uh, I've used the example before, like thinking of like a Christmas letter that people used to write, where it's just like the, the general life update. Because again, I do think there's that once again, fork in the road where people feel the pressure to produce content for consistency's sake, uh, but they don't actually enjoy writing or creating, mm -hmm. then there is a done for you content. Don't do it. Do have somebody else do it, right? You can you mm -hmm. can buy packages of health tips and fitness tips for 50 bucks. Like it doesn't even need to be personally crafted. But I think it's kind of closing that gap between like I enjoy writing, I want to create, but I sort of struggle with what to talk about. Because I think the worst case scenario is when you see this super generic this templated content that it's, you know, it's the top five tips for better breakfast and, you know, the how to manage your stress better over the holidays. And it's like, just kill me. <laughs> right? Like, I just like, I, I don't even like I'm bored before I got past the headline. Mm -hmm. And I think mm -hmm. that's the part where it's like, well, tell me about, you know, your aunt Susan that would always just fly off the handle every Christmas because she was so stressed out and the entire family would beg her to please not do the Christmas presents. But she insisted on buying 17 Christmas presents for every person in the family. And this is why she was so stressed out. And can you tie that 
to managing stress over the holidays. But that would be something that would kind of tell me a little bit about you. And I think that is a bias. Like I, I struggle when I can't connect to a person or a business. Like when you open up a website and you know it says, "We at uh, Health Inc. will help you achieve your health goals," and I kind of go to about us or meet us. And I'm looking for a photo, a person, a story, like something like, who is this? Uh, And when it's not there, I always feel a little let down because I'm not entirely sure who I'm dealing with. It's like when you're on the phone and you keep getting the automated message. And after a while you give up and you hang up, like you keep looking for that connection. Like where's the human side? Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, it's so true. And I, I I don't think that's that's just you. I think that's a reality of human nature. We are human beings, and so we're looking to connect with other human beings. And yes, you might connect to you know a, a larger brand that that you love if you're like an, an Apple fan, but even then, you know, so many people really connected with Steve Jobs as a figurehead. So there's so much um there's there's so much of a, a natural human need to connect with other human beings that I think when we are able to show people who we are as a person, um, and that can still be professional. It can still, you know, be aligned with your brand. It doesn't have to be your full-on, like completely messy self. Although you can still pick and choose sort of what stories you tell or how you tell them to align with maybe a professional message um or your about us page as you mentioned but that's something that i try to to, um help clients just remember in any kind of work including if it's things like if you're say writing a book with a a bunch of people or on behalf of your brand you know i'm not going to read a book written by a company i'm going to read a book written by a person who represents a company so there's so much value in bringing yourself. And as you pointed out, a great way to bring yourself is simply to think about, okay, if there's a point that I want to make, how can I, how can I make that point by just telling a story of something I've experienced in my own life? And so you might come to the page thinking, all right, I went through the grocery store today and, you know, you'll say went through that like bulk, uh, buying pandemic experience and being thing like ding story idea, but conversely, you might have a point you want to make, like you said, about resilience or something. And then you can think back, okay, what is a story I can use to demonstrate that point? So just I'm just really trying to under, underscore what you've already said. Um, so to kind of recap some of the things that you do in your letters to friends approach, it it sounds like you you give yourself the space, the wiggle room to write about what is coming up for you, what you're experiencing and what's on your mind. And going back to the question of consistency, you also have talked to me before about how often you you publish and that sort of um, enough to not be forgotten approach. Can you speak a little bit more to that? Yeah, I think, again, it's like when you see what you're supposed to do, you're supposed to uh, be consistent, post every day, uh, be in touch with your audience once a week. And I think that's that's all very overwhelming. So I think my my approach to consistency is posting enough to not be forgotten and writing enough to not be forgotten, where how often do I email my list? 
where I don't have to start the email with, okay, it's been a hot minute, everyone. Here we are. Lots of things have happened. Sorry about that. Or some form of apology that you have seen 10 times, right? Like uh, how often would you need to post on social media if you're, let's say, posting uh, storytelling tips or something similar where people can see it and go, uh, oh, hey, another storytelling tip from this person I follow and like, right? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be like, I I even say to people, I say, go to my Facebook account, go to my newsletter and go back and see, like, you will not see Tuesday, 10 a.m., Tuesday, 10 a.m., Tuesday, 10, like, it's, that's not it. You're going to see three days, one week, then nothing for a week, then four days, then two days in a row, right? Like, so it's it's actually pretty haphazard, but it's always consistent enough to not be forgotten. And mm-hmm. that means I probably uh, don't go completely dark for a month, mm-hmm. but it's not five days a week. And I think this is part of the issue that we see with the internet. There are certain types of people and, and there are certain ways of being that are much more visible. They're much more lifted up. I think that there was a reason why the book um, Quiet has made such a splash Mm -hmm. because in North American society, you know, extroversion has always been lifted up. Mm -hmm. So here somebody wrote a book and talked about introverts and how like all the things that they bring to the table. So similarly, when we look at the internet, the social media, the showing up, there is a certain... um, People who consistently post every day, post every day, write every day, show up, be consistent. That in itself is fetishized. Mm-hmm. And we don't actually see because like, man, I just kind of write haphazardly a couple of times a week. Like nobody really says that. Like we, we don't right. see that being said. Uh, same goes with the niche. Niche down, be very specific, have your avatar. It's like, I don't know. Who, like it's letters to friends. How, how narrow is that? Right. So I think it's just nice to, to see the other side. Not everyone uh, needs to post every day. Not everyone wants to be a boss babe. Not everyone like, right. So, and to to be able to just see other people doing maybe things that are a little bit more in line with how you show up. Mm -hmm. I know for me, that's very liberating to hear others say like, like I, I just sort of do the thing, you know, every day, just whenever I can. Yeah. And with the, the audience too, as you alluded to there, that um, I think you have, had written about recently that, um, you know, this, this had been a roadblock for a while of like, oh, I need to know exactly who my audience is. And I, need to, you know, that's like that kind of customer avatar thing or like, what purpose is this serving? And I think all those are great questions. You know, I mean, I, I totally encourage people to have an editorial calendar and show them how to use a spreadsheet to plan out the work. Like, you know, I'm a fan of that consistency and I'm a fan of thinking strategically, but not if it stops you, only if it helps you, only if it helps you show up and not just, and not, either not do it or, you know, just fall off. And so it's, um, it's such a great point that you don't have to, if, if you're the reason you're holding back is because you can't do it like somebody else or like somebody else tells you to, then maybe the answer is to just do it your own way. Like maybe you don't have to. 
Yeah. Well, and I think what you're describing, the editorial calendar, the spreadsheet, it's like it's the Iron Man training version of writing. And if somebody's just <laughs> starting to like, you know, maybe exercise regularly from just not exercising at all, if we hand them the spreadsheet with an Iron Man training schedule, I don't know how successful they would be. They might be overwhelmed, intimidated, or they might try it, fall off after three days, be very sore and, you know, hopefully not drown. Uh, so <laughs> just, however, if we actually start, you know, we talk about meeting the client where they're at, right? Like if we yeah. start with, well, if you're starting from zero, what is, what is your not zero plus one? Like what is the actual baby step? on the continuum of more consistent mm -hmm. because I can see that happening with like the, the person I've mentioned who decided to write a newsletter once a month after doing that for six months, 12 months, they can envision themselves seeing it every other week. Right. Mm -hmm. And that feels doable. Mm -hmm. And then maybe weekly, right? Like, because as you figure out, like you, you go over, you get over that initial obstacle of coming up with the topic, right? Like those kind of initial struggles. And I always uh, try to remind folks um, about how a lot of these things are trainable. Like they're, they're teachable. My, uh, my baby brother told me recently, like, I, I read your recent post. I wish I could express myself like that because he was referring to uh, an expedition. Uh, so like a long biking trip he was on and he was referring back to some of the notes uh, he was taking throughout and they were very factual, right? Like I, I arrived, I covered that many miles, that many kilometers that day I had soup, right? Like that. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was it. Like there wasn't detail. And what I was trying to tell him is that that is very much a skill. And I remember working with a coach on writing specifically, and she told me to include details and what a drag that was because it just felt very foreign. Mm. Uh, and yet we see that in like people who are just starting to write, the default is to write very abstractly. Like it, it, it's yes. very sort of on the surface. Yes. Right? And I just think about how things are important and important things are very important. And you sort of like reading three paragraphs of that and there isn't anything to hold on to yes. um, and all of that it's it's a very specific skill where it's like no no we're just going to sit here and describe to me what you're looking at <laughs> it's right like just in as much detail as possible to go back to that piece of writing three months later or a year later it's incredible how grounding that is because it drops you into that context mm -hmm. like it, and it is a skill like it's just like knowing that that's what it does and people read it and they go oh wow this is great writing it's like but it's great writing for these very specific reasons so we can actually pull these reasons out and we can mm -hmm. um, just like anything else Right. Yeah. It's, it's such a, a great point and interesting you say that because that comes up a lot when I'm interviewing someone, if I'm writing a story for them, a profile for them, say, you know, say I'm doing a piece about them or their experience. And uh, often when I first start, they want to give me the, what you just, what you just described, the sort of like the big, the high level, but it's actually very vague and and not and it's like, no, I'm more interested in what were you having for breakfast that morning? You know, it's because it's like, okay, this, maybe this big thing happened, maybe a, a, a some kind of experience happened to you. And I want to get to know 
how that transformation or discovery or experience took place. So, you know, it, it's like the, the details of, well, what was happening when this went through your mind? You know, oh, you were sitting in your car crying, you know, you couldn't get out of the car because you were so exhausted and frustrated, or you were in the grocery store and you just looked around and you had a thought. Like those are the, the little moments that I'm looking for. And so when I do that kind of work, I actually find it really fun to sort of dig into that and kind of navigate going to those deeper levels of detail uh, with the person. But you're you're right in that even just learning how to do that and identify also which details to use and which not to use, because you can also go the other way and have it so riddled with detail that it's just too long and irrelevant. And that is a skill that does take practice. Another skill that I feel that you've mastered is um, kind of the art of, of vulnerability because you've been able to tell stories that are often very vulnerable and personal um, and incorporate those into your writing. You've done that in your different ways in your email newsletter, but particularly in your book. Um, I remember when you were you're writing your book, and I don't know if we've really talked about since what that experience was like. I would love for you to share with listeners too about a little bit about the book that you wrote. And um, yeah, what? Wh- why did you write it? Why did you choose to to share um, this story? And what was that experience like? I had a, a miscarriage with my first pregnancy. And uh, I think that experience just pulled like the rug from under my feet in a way that I did not anticipate. Like I just really struggled with, with the experience, with the aftermath of the experience. And I think by definition, because I struggled with something so much, I had to write about it as, as we've already established. So it really became, it definitely was a processing kind of experience. But I think also over the years, I have learned that when you share something vulnerable with people, nothing happens, like nothing bad happens when you share vulnerable things, only good things happen. And I think that was one of those times when I I looked into other people's experiences with miscarriage. Like, I think there's that very human desire to look for other people who have gone through the same thing and felt the same way. And I wasn't really able to find anything like that because what I found with, um, with, um, personal accounts of miscarriages, and there's plenty of them on the internet, just like everything else, that they were either incredibly clinical, and this is like the step-by-step, and here's what happened, and at 7 a.m., and then this, and then we went to the doctor, so it was just like this daily account of, which read to me very clinical, like I know exactly what happened, but I have no idea how this felt Mm -hmm. to you, to somebody else, like what... Mm -hmm. Yeah, you've described the superficialness of it, but not the actual internal emotional struggle. And then I was sad, right? Like it, it doesn't mm-hmm. quite capture like <laughs> the 
just the explosiveness of it all, right? Mm-hmm. The messiness of it all. And then other accounts that I found were very survivory. Like they mm-hmm. were very, um, you know, I have survived this. I am a hero. Um, I actually see the same thing happening in accounts of like terminal illness, for example, right? Like mm-hmm. we, we like with, with cancer, with uh, um, other things, like again, it's either clinical or it's very survivory. What mm-hmm. I didn't see maybe understandably so, because it's a weird thing to look for. I didn't really see anyone being lighthearted about it because there was always this undercurrent of this whole thing being incredibly hilarious to me in like the, this really, really black humor kind of way. Yeah. Yeah. Just because it was so ridiculously messy and unexpected and just so human um it's it's almost like a little bit like um with sex like it's just messy and hilarious like if you <laughs> actually look at it right like it's just silly yeah. it, and, and we yeah. don't really talk about how silly it is and it's sort of similarly like you have the romantic movies where you just have a curtain right <laughs> or like you have the fade out with slow music or you have pornography, which is like the other extreme. Meanwhile, there is this like human messy middle mm-hmm. where the vast majority of population is. And they're somehow trying to be physically intimate at like, you know, 530 in the morning before work, before kids wake up. Like, like it's like that, that <laughs> really funny reality of it. Yeah. Like, I think that's really what I found missing. And I thought, well, if anyone is going to write a book that's going to be lighthearted and messy and really getting at like the hilarity of the human experience at its basis. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess it would have to be me because I didn't find one. Mm-hmm. And then you said, well, nothing, nothing bad happens when you're, you're vulnerable. What were some of the things that did happen after publishing that? A whole bunch of people reached out with, me too, right? Like with their mm-hmm. own stories. And it varied anywhere from, you know, someone having a miscarriage 30 plus years ago and never telling anyone mm-hmm. ever, right? And going to work that same day or um, a couple of testimonials and like a couple of stories that I heard that really stood out to me were from people who, uh, from men who really appreciated the inside look mm-hmm. into into an experience of miscarriage apart from like, here's what happens from the outside. Yeah. Uh, because I think historically and, and typically uh, men and like partners that are not partners who are actually having the miscarriage, they find themselves on the outside of the experience where mm-hmm. you're there and you, you feel bad and scared and sort of terrified, but you don't actually know what it's like. You can't really do anything to help. Um, so to be able to have that inside look, I think was um, helpful to some folks mm-hmm. So, uh, or some who don't have children, have no interest in having children. They're uh, child-free by choice. And they've again, expressed appreciation for, being able to learn about something that they probably will never experience themselves. And Mm -hmm. I think that to me is often the coolest part is when I know that people read my words that are not just in my shoes. Like when we talk about brand and showing up a certain way, 
you will always attract people who can sort of connect to you on on those same experiences, but not always. Like there there are people who will enjoy just how you show up, regardless uh-huh. of what you talk about. It could uh-huh. be anything. It could be something that you don't have in common with them at all, but they just enjoy your perspective. Yeah. Well, this has been great, Kate. Thanks for sharing that. And I think you've you've provided a, a real look at how to do this kind of work, this kind of writing, self-publishing, um, and self-expression without getting caught up in too many of the trappings around how it, you know, capital H has to be like this notion of, you know, not being too caught up in the idea of a brand of being too caught up in the idea of a schedule of being too caught up in the idea of a format or a topic or your audience. And that there's plenty of room to actually just show up, take a shot at it, learn, practice, share who you are and what you've got and evolve along the way. So before we take off uh, super quick lightning round, I'll just throw a few questions at you and you can respond with whatever comes to your mind. Sound good? Sound good. What was your favorite book as a kid or one of them? Um, Ooh, it, (laughs) this is a tough one because I'm, I'm uh, thinking of titles in Russian and I don't know what they, uh, what they translate to. So there's been a French author, um, in Russian, you pronounce it Jules Verne. It's uh, Jules Verne, I Uh think. And he wrote adventure fantasy. So Mm -hmm. he was my favorite writer. He wrote about, uh, so 40,000 miles under the sea, maybe. Yeah, 40,000 leagues under the sea. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So he he's the author of that. He was my favorite uh, writer, and that was one of my favorite books. Nice. If you were to write another book, what would it be? What would it be about? Ooh, I would love to, to write a book about parenting, speaking of hilarity and messiness uh, and frustration uh, of it all. Mm-hmm. And I think I would love to write a book about coaching and like the art, the art of coaching, the science of coaching. And again, like the messiness uh, from, from the inside after having worked with a lot of folks on behavioral change. I think that would be a fun one. Amazing. Look forward to reading them one day. (laughs) What is something you're curious about? I'm curious about uh, people who think very, very different from me. Mm -hmm. It just fascinates me. Uh, So uh, some people think earth is flat. And I think that's the most interesting thing in the world because uh, everything is pointing to the contrary. So those are the kind of folks that are like, tell me everything. How? Go on. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Well, thanks, Kate. I've uh, I've really appreciated this interview and, and your unique perspective. And I always enjoy reading what you write. So thank you. Thank you. This was great. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to the Storytelling with Heart podcast. Want to turn your thoughts into leadership and your ideas into words that make a difference? Find me and discover more free resources at www.camilledeputter.com. While you're there, don't forget to subscribe to my email newsletter, where I share stories, free tools, and other storytelling guidance. And never forget, 
your story matters. 